and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to what somebody on the SSR would like you to believe is the A show on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet podcast and VTSSR Central. And that person is Ross McLeod, but once again, Ross McLeod isn't here this week. He hasn't been here for the last couple of weeks because most of us in the SSR all buggered off to Manchester for the podcast overlord Stephen Wilson's uh, stag do down in Manchester. And then Ross buggered off again because he apparently needs a certain number of holidays per year because, you know, hosting a podcast is apparently too much work and it's too tiring for him. So he's buggered off again on holiday, leaving me and many others to pick up the slack for him. I am Scott McLeod stepping into the role of host today and joining me is the man who puts the Lopez and a little bit of the cheese into McLopez with cheese. He is Chris Anthony Lopez. Hello, Chris. Yeah, legendary tag team. We ran amok over ESSR. What's going on, Scott? It's been a minute, my man. Now we're now we're bitter enemies. <laughs> how, how how the tables have turned. Yeah, I'm never a better person. Everybody can can tell that. Yeah, you're just you're just you grow up so fast, don't you? And your your first solo season, you're there nipping it. Jack Graham current season leaders coattails, aren't you? Yeah, dude. Like, and I was I was warned about the solo seasons, and y'all are talking about it over there on the Saturday Draft Live. Like, I'm 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 trying, man. And Jack's just been a thorn in my side. But I'll cry about it later. There's still a lot of season left. A lot of stuff can happen. But as of right now, he's he's the, the top of the mountain, and I'll I will I will topple that that giant when I get there. Uh, well, I look forward to seeing that happen, and we'll have all the coverage of that on Saturday Draft Live every single Saturday, as Chris said. And we also have shows on this network like East Meets West. It's said every so often show we do about New Japan Pro Wrestling. We'll have another episode coming out sometime next week. And there's a lot of great stuff happening over there. And of course, our weekly feature show, uh, which includes our most recent show, when I've met some nobody called Cody Rhodes. I don't know what he's been up to recently. That really warrants a full 90 or so minutes of people talking about him. But if you're interested in listening to that, you can listen to that feature show in our back catalogue. And you can also... Uh, follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. Uh, and also join the Facebook community page, you know, get involved. Join the listeners league and get weekly ridicule on SDL. Or you can take part in, in answering questions that we put on our uh, community page and get your answers read out here on ESSR Central. We've not done that in a couple weeks since the goat took his ego and went home. And so he's... So it's filled to me to bring the question back this week and we'll have a couple of questions that we're going to read the answers out to later on in the show. But for a couple of weeks, the wrestling news keeps on going and one of the biggest stories that happened in the last couple of days and something that affects Jack is one of his team members was one of the unfortunate ones to be let go. It's another round of NXT releases uh, going around. Uh, a few of them were people who hadn't appeared on TV or had maybe appeared on level up but we didn't really know there was one referee that got sadly let go. But there were, of the names that we did know, there were some surprising ones. And the ones that we did know about were uh, Harland, Malcolm Bivens, Dakota Kai, and then after the rest were announced, shortly after 
it was confirmed that Dexter Loomis had also been let go. Uh, obviously, it's going to be an all too frequent thing, this mass releases thing. And if we were to be believe, you know, more releases are going to be coming soon as, you know, the, the investors calls coming up and that seems to correlate with more releases. So don't be surprised if you see more announcements of people being let go uh, in days to come. Uh, obviously it's never nice to talk about people being let go, but, you know, it's a su- surprising uh, that it was just exclusively NXT people and especially like, the names that are on this list. That was the most surprising part, to be honest, was who was on this list, right? And we've been, as long as there's a wrestling show, I feel like, in 2022, or there's a wrestling news show, it's inevitable to talk about releases. That's just how, you know, on the edge of this on the edge of our seat we are to figure out what what the next move is for wwe and with nxt they saw some more people go and there's been a bunch of debate a bunch of conversation does dotaby have too many people are there too many is there too much talent over there and we're rapidly figuring out that they think there's too much going on and they're trying to cut whatever and whoever they can for whatever reason, right? You mentioned, you know, folks on some of our draft teams, right? Like Dakota Kai, who are amongst NXT's beloved, right? Or at least NXT 1.0 is beloved. Malcolm Bivens, who's been a fixture on NXT TV for a while. Dexter Loomis is the one. Dexter Loomis and uh, Persia Parada. I, I couldn't. I I couldn't wrap my head around that because they're both on there were they were on it weekly TV in a somewhat big story. They were wrapped with other people like Indy Hartwell. And now am should I be fearful for the future of Indy Hartwell? Because these are people that, you know, some of them have been around for a while or they're relatively newer and they built their, their names up recently over the last year. And over this course of NXT 2.0's existence, and like another person like Draco Anthony, who's been on TV, right? You're you're releasing these folks for what? I know Malcolm Bivens. Apparently, the reason was he refused to resign, or he told them he wasn't resigning. So that was the big thing into his release. But why Dakota Kai? Why Dexter Loomis? Why Harland? Harland was getting Brock Lesnar type exposure at least let me rephrase brock lesnar type hype going into nxt and then you give him a name like harland make him somebody's henchman and he's off tv within a year and you release him like there are a lot of things i'm not understanding but hey i guess the reasoning behind all this is that wwe doesn't see something within them for whatever reason and they're cutting them even though some of these folks are on weekly tv yeah, the Harlan thing, like, when Parker Brodrow is, like, signed and was tweeting out all this stuff of him, you know, training, everybody saw how big he was and, like, how much he kind of looked like a young Brock Lesnar. And it did seem like there was going to be a big plan for him because, you know, he's a big guy. But then, you know, the decision to shave his head so he didn't look like Brock and then just making him, I'm just, I don't know the quality of his, you know, mic work. So, you know, they made him a silent, you know, hit bodyguard. I think with the right people around him, he could, like, make something of himself, but I don't think, as, as much as I sometimes enjoy the Joe Gacy character before it became all really 
Wish.com, Bray Wyatt that it seems to have become the last few weeks. Uh, like, I just don't think that was the right fit for him. And, you know, he's one of these guys who's seemingly, you know, learning as he goes. Like, he's learned to wrestle as he's, like, developing on TV. And apparently, according to WWE, he's, from what I've heard, apparently, uh, WWE wasn't happy with how he was developing. He just wasn't coming along as they told him they hoped they would. Well, so maybe you shouldn't have put him on TV as, as soon as you did. But I can't really confirm this, but I've heard rumors of Dakota Kai potentially not wanting to re-sign either. Uh, but that's the only other reason I could think of her getting let go as well, because, you know, she went from winning the tag titles on Stand and Deliver, losing them, then had that match with uh, Maddie Rose for the title, which she also lost. And she'd also, uh, a few months ago, been in dark matches for SmackDown, which seems to indicate there was some interest in calling her up. And it just never happened. So if she didn't have any interest in sticking around, then fair enough. You know, but it's weird to see her go because she's been around since, like, I think 2016, 2017, like, since the first, like, May Young Classic would be where a lot of WWE fans got to see her. So it's it's weird to see her go. Loomis is somebody I've always enjoyed, and he weirdly is somebody who seemed to get more exposure in 2.0 than they did in 1.0 because he is a character. And, you know, he's able to adapt to this, like, change in format. And it's a shame he never got to go to the places that some people thought he could because I'm pretty sure there was a time during, well, it was still 1.0, that he was meant to win the North American title and then got injured. So, you know, bad luck for for him. But something we should mention about these releases, and particularly the people who do get released, is the Diamond Mind potentially the most cursed faction in the history of wrestling. Oh my god, yeah. What what a horrible what a horrible fate. I mean, it started out well, originally they were gonna put uh, Arturo Rose and Marina Shafir in the group. They got released before the, the group even made their debut. And yet uh Suzuki and Taylor Rust joined the group when it first formed. They got both got released shortly after and then you had Malcolm Bevins get let go. Now it's just the Creed Brothers. I've been out with things even associated with them. She just disappeared off to, on her own. So now it's just Roderick and the Creed Brothers. But now the Creed, but now Roderick is seemingly the reports out that now he actually has asked for his release. Uh, but and he had asked for it before, but it had previously been denied. And now he's asked for it again. Clearly, he's not happy with the way that things have been going. And when it seemed like the Diamond was going to be built like to watch him as he was going after the Cruiserweight title and did get a shot at the North American title at one point, uh, it seemed like it had been a bit more about building the other guys up, like, the, like, like your Ivan Elliott, the Cree Brothers, who have been coming on leaps and bounds the last couple of months. Like they had that match with the, the Viking Raiders on on uh, Spring Breaking this week, but it just seemed like Roderick's been pushed more and more to the background, so I couldn't see why he'd want to go. And apparently also he tried to get me to change his name, which he turned down. So I'm assuming he he's he's seen the writing on the wall and like I need to get out of here. Yeah, that's something that I I'm also very intrigued on is like we we heard I think it was sometime last year that Roderick Strong had actually re-signed with WWE, right? Like so there must have been a decent amount of money or he must to like something about his situation to where he would stay and he'll be all right but then now we get this stuff up fightful to where he's asking for his release and then getting denied because oh yeah independent contractor but 
you know, you stay because we want you to, even though we release a bunch of other people for no apparent reason or clear reason, I should say. But Roderick Strong, this is going to be an interesting case because he denied the name change. And that's been the whole that's been a topic of conversation lately amongst WWE rumors and um, discussion circles on all these name changes like Austin Theory got his name cut down the theory. Tommaso Ciampa's just Ciampa. People like Kaylee Ray is um like Alba Fire or something like that. I, I forget exactly what it is. But there's a lot of name changes, some more drastic than others, and Roddy straight up just said no, I'm not doing that. And what does that mean for the future of him? Is he just are they just going to sit him, sit him down or um, just not have him be on TV, even though he was on spring break in this week? I, I'm just I'm so intrigued by the situation because what's what's Roddy going to do? Like Diamond Mine is slowly just fading from like from existence. Right. There, it's just Roddy and the Creed Brothers and the Creed Brothers. WWE likes them, NXT likes them, so of course they're going to use them. But Roddy, what's the deal with that? And what's what's his whole situation going to be like? Is he going to be on the roster still by the end of the summer? Is he going to be on by the end of the year? Because another thing, another thing to consider, all of his undisputed era buddies are now the undisputed <laughs> elite over there at AEW. And I know it's fun for everyone to talk about, oh, what if this person popped over in AEW? But damn, this is the one that actually makes a lot of sense. Similar to when Roddy was in NXT all those years ago, turned down Pete Dunne and joined Undisputed Era. But instead of splitting tag teams, we're out here jumping companies. And you know WWE has to keep that stuff in mind. So the future of Roddy in NXT is, I want to say, a little hazy. But I wouldn't be surprised if they just held on to him. And I don't want to say, you know, just try to let his contract run, but he's. I are we going to see a Tony Storm situation? This is so fascinating. The stuff of Roderick Strong because he just resigned like, like eight months ago or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, I mean, David Talkney is the number one in this podcast. A undisputed elite fan. He just. Big fanboy for the Undisputed Era days, and they were they were great back in the, the heyday of NXT and everything. But I I jokingly put in the group chat when uh, we were all talking about uh, the about Roderick wanting to get out of NXT. I said, and now David Orton is just counting down the days until Roderick Strong makes that appearance in in AEW because it was like fun when when Bobby Fish showed up in AEW. He they referenced his relationship with Adam Cole when he first popped up. And then Carla Royal and everyone's like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if he showed up in NAEW? And then he did. And then they, now they've been called like the Undisputed Elite and Red Dragon have got back together. Now, now it's basically like AEW, like, oh, well, we like the Undisputed Era. We'll, come, we'll, we'll let you still do it over here. And now basically everyone's just counting down. He's like, come on, Roddy, like, just, just, just go over there. Just, you know, you'll be happier there. Go on, go, do it. Right. We're all sitting here like Palpatine. Do it. Right. And I mean, yeah, of course, like I want to see him with Adam and Fish and Riley. Like, that'd be fun. But how is he going to get there? 
if he does, is he going to stick around? Are they going to make him just sit and wait? And are they going to push him to the moon now since he's on NXT? I doubt that because this new version of NXT is all about the fresh faces that they've made and not the indie guys that made their name somewhere else. Geez, we were watching on the weekly shows what's happening with those indie guys that made their name somewhere else and came to WWE. They're taking their names away to differentiate themselves from their past. And I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Dakota Kai was also in the in the same realm of, hey, we want you to change your name. And she said, no, I've established this whole brand as Dakota Kai, so I want to keep rocking with this. And they said, all right, well, even though you just won the tag titles like a month ago with Raquel now, what is it, Rodriguez on, yeah. on SmackDown? Well, we're just going to ship you off and get released. Bye-bye. Yeah. Like, what you kind know, of sense does that make? I mean, I'll mention a story I also put in the notes, but yeah, the name changes. I can't even remember. Casey Kanzaros changed her name. I can't even remember what it was. It's harder to pronounce. It's Katana Chance. It's Which so bad. It's stuck with me. Fair, the fair is like a nickname they've given her when she gets drunk. That's why she explained, like, oh, these guys used to say, when I get wild, they called me this name. So I'm just going to go with this name now. Like, that's how you explain At least as much as people didn't like Walter becoming Gunther, he explained it as being part of his family, like lineage and everything. And even when he became Gunther, he still wrestles like Walter. He dresses like Walter, but now in a snazzy red jacket, which I'd really like to have. And so his name <laughs> changes that bad. Like, and they say they're going to take away either or they want to change people's names so they can own the trademark because they don't want them using the names they've used elsewhere or have links to their actual name because you can't own a person's real name. So Raquel went from Gonzalez to Rodriguez because her real last name is Gonzalez, which I don't mind because so far, even though we only see a little bit of her on SmackDown, she doesn't seem that different. But then right. obviously you've, but then you've got these ones in NXT like Keely Ray and Keith Gans are changing their name. Which I'm pretty sure Alba or whatever the name is that they've used is apparently a Gaelic word of just saying Scottish. So are, are, they've just changed Kelly Ray's name to Scottish Fire. You may as well just call her Scotland Scotland Face or whatever you want to call it. Just make her an absolute stereotype of what WWE thinks a Scottish person looks like. It wasn't bad enough you had Drew wrestling a kilt with a sword and tail and Scottish folk tales all of like, early 2021. And then you know, so, so some name changes are good, some really suck. Like, one of the weird one, like Ludwig Kaiser. Like, why did you change? What was wrong with Marcel Barthel? I mean, that's the name you gave him. You gave him Marcel right. Barthel, and then you changed it again to, yeah. to whatever this is. And yeah, I wouldn't surprise me if they did want to change Dakota Kai's name, even though they're the ones that gave her the name Dakota Kai. I'm so, I'm I'm becoming so numb to the name changes. I remember when when like Walter became Gunther, I was so bothered. Or when Pete Dunn became Butch, you know, like when when those name changes happened, I was so bothered and distraught. Now I'm just so numb to them. But the Casey Catanzaro becoming Katana Chance really lit a fire under me, and I thought to myself, "This is that's so bad." And she ch- and they gave her a promo on NXT TV explaining why her name's different, even though like the initials are still the same, like and she still has the same initials as Caden Carter, you know, like. But it is what, again, 
And it's that's they know what they're doing. They're the the multi-million dollar professional wrestling company, and I'm just the guy who talks about them. But I I just I don't get it, and that's why I commend folks like Roderick Strong, who are like, no, I'm not changing my name. That's dumb. Why would I do that? And what's the future of that? Who the hell knows? But Roderick Strong, I have all any like my two eyes. Are, po- are plastered to the situation and I guarantee a bunch of other people's are. I mean, to, at the risk of treading ground that we've already covered, I mean, we have talked about name changes and releases a lot in the past and if it's going to continue to be a thing, then we're going to have to keep talking about it. But like some of the recent ones, like I mentioned, Austin Theory becoming just Theory, I don't really care about either way. The idea of like not associating them with the name Austin maybe for the better because when you think of Austin and then and the because when you think of the name Austin and you think of wrestling, you automatically think Steve Austin. So fair do right. we want to go Champa. I don't mind just being Champ because a lot of people just call him Champa already anyway. But mm-hmm. but Butch, I remember me and Dave were hosting Central the week after that all happened, and I had a good laugh about it because I knew Dave would be annoyed about it. And yeah, I thought it was silly, but I decided just to poke fun of it as it deserved to be. But as the weeks have gone on, God, it's the, probably the worst name change they've ever done. I mean, because I joked about how Walter Gunther walks, talks, acts like Walter. He's just called Gunther now. He's just same brand. Like when a soda company basically brings out the same drink, just in different packaging. But yep. Butch is just the worst. He is the most grappy do esque shit. And I don't want to watch him anymore. He is like the sort of company brought out a similar drink and just took everything you liked out of it. He is the Coke Zero of gimmick changes. <laughs> oh, and I mean, like I do, I do like me some Coke Zero, but not when you call it the the rabid Wolverine on WWE television. I'm looking at you, Pat McAfee. You can't oh, say goodness. that. Like I, I was cool with the the gimmick change for Pete Dunn. I just didn't like the name Butch. I I thought it was funny, and like a lot of other people, I laughed at it. I wasn't laughing with it. And the character, what they're doing with the character, you could have just kept the name Pete Dunn. But whatever, gotta call him Butch. You don't want him to have his name. Fine. And I know a lot of these guys, a lot of these girls are they're cool with it because it's their job. But damn. The name changes, like you said, we've seen them before. We'll continue to see them for the rest of time. But I just, it's really hard for me to buy when Casey Catanzaro is talking about how she wants to be referred to by another name after her somewhat decent tenure in NXT. All of a sudden, she wants to change her name. Same thing for Kaylee Ray. And I, I'm scared that, like, oh, who's next? Indy Hartwell? Are you going to change her name, too? Just because? Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I... They have their reasons whether they want they want people to drop their real names or stop using their, their names that they don't have the rights to, but it's so frustrating. And, damn, like, folks like Johnny Gargano, right? If I'm, if I'm at home, Watching this as a free agent, like, why would I want to go back to that? Even if the money's good, like FTR, right? They, mm-hmm. they just got tired of it. 
So they left. And now apparently there are rumors that, hey, WWE wants them to come back. And they're like, why? No, we got we got our own shit going on. And they're in a better spot now. It's it's really exposing the flaws within NXT and WWE as a whole. And it, it bums me out because I like to think I'm a I'm I'm a WWE defender a lot of the time, especially like. Amongst all the the AEW New Japan Impact fans that like to shit on AEW or not on AEW on WWE, but like stuff like this, you can't defend this, especially when it's as egregious as some of the name changes have been. It's so frustrating. But mm. well, I'll cry about it later. I guess I there's nothing else I can we can do about it now, right? Yeah, going back to the Roger Strong thing, I think. He's he's gonna fail out of place for a little while now. I think if there were plans to push him, they would have done it already with the Diamond Mind because the furthest he went in Diamond Mind uh, was like being cruiserweight champion, and then even then they decided to book him against non cruiserweights, and then he was used to put over uh, Carmelo Hayes and what was a what was a really good match probably should have been saved for a takeover, and then mm-hmm. that, that was just then used as a vehicle to get rid of the cruiserweight belt and. You know, I think it's probably best he does go, but to tie into something else that I put in the notes about Mustafa Ali making a surprise return to to Raw, like the idea that Roderick's put in for his release, it's been denied. Mustafa Ali made it very public how much he wanted to leave, and that was denied as well. And there were rumours that he was pitched to gimmick that he would never do and got an edit. He had an argument with Vince McMahon about it. Like, it really brings up this almost toxic relationship that he has with its, its wrestlers in that if you don't want to go or you're like in the midst of something uh, and you could miss a storyline or whatever then you could just be let go but if you want to go they're just going to keep you there almost out of spite you're like no it shouldn't be your choice to, to leave us like if WWE and its wrestlers were like a couple in a relationship you would basically go up to them and say you two don't belong together anymore right no and I uh, it's. I I wonder how, and I know there are other things that we're going to talk about in regard in regards to NXT and how things are rocking over there. But the more we hear about the stuff backstage at NXT 2.0, so I remember coming on Central a long time ago and talking about how I was not a fan of the new NXT of like how loud it was and um, all the personalities that I fell in love with, they were slowly and slowly being phased out or they're being released, called up and just squandering on the main roster. But then guys like Braun Breaker, I was late to the Braun Breaker party. Like our boy Carmelo Hayes loved watching him or love watching him every week at NXT 2.0 guys like that who are the future, right? I love Cora Jade. I love what Toxic Attraction is doing for as uh, ridiculous and and campy as it can be sometimes, right? They're building up these new stars who really didn't have this previous indie following behind them. And I guess that's where they decided to go, and that's fine. But then you hear all this crazy stuff about what's going on behind the scenes and that all these people changing their names. It it throws it throws me for a loop, and it, it becomes almost it's it's almost like what you said, like this toxic relationship, right? Where like 
every week we're watching the product and at some point for absolutely no reason someone might just not be there anymore and like poor indy hartwell on spring breaking right her husband's gone and what the hell i was invested in that the first nxt 2.0 had their wedding and then not even a year later he's released from wwe and i thought dexter was great now indy's husbandless on nxt television and we sort of acknowledge this, so good on NXT for halfway acknowledging what's going on. But I I don't get it. I, I don't understand what these things are. And again, like I'm just the, the plebe who's watching their shows every week. But I'd be lying if I said I was liking all the changes and liking all the stuff I'm hearing. I like a lot of the personalities I see on TV every week. But damn, what the hell is happening with the actual show and how it's being made? Something's wrong. And um, I know folks like Ember Moon or Athena, I should say now, have talked about the changes and what happened behind the scenes and certain people leaving and certain people taking over and things going to hell. But damn, I feel like now as fans, we're really seeing that reflect in the product and it's it's so bittersweet to watch. Yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I have a weird relationship with NXT 2.0. I don't watch it on a weekly basis, but tune in every so so often. And like, I try to be one of those people who like wasn't into like it's different, so it's bad. But I'm not just gonna enjoy anything you just give me. But I will fight anybody, like tooth and nail, who doesn't believe that that wedding should have been invented because. I am somebody who thinks that wedding had every right to mean event in the first episode of NXT 2.0. Yep. And, you know, fuck you if, if you disagree. But, <laughs> I'll mention, we'll mention I agree with you, Scott. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I'm sure your appreciation for Carmel Hayes, you not know, also being a fantastic wrestler, is, I like, like myself, my appreciation for Carmel Hayes grew immensely throughout the particular period from. Uh, Royal Rumble to WrestleMania this past year. Can't think of any reason why that might be up until the point where he selfishly lost the NXT championship uh, at the last hurdle. But we'll talk about spring breaking later on because I've only seen some highlights from that, but the highlights that I did see, I did enjoy. So it's nice to come back to NXT to talk about some positive things. But first, we must talk some somewhat negative things, not just not really about the show, but about the people running it because, as you mentioned, Athena, formerly Everman, was on. He was on Chris Van Vliet's podcast uh, talking about it's a, the, the changeover, the like, new people to come in and they take over and the changes that are being made. I think it goes in line with what Scotty Tuhati was saying about how they wanted like trainers to dye their hair or like, look younger, despite the fact these are the people who don't appear on TV. And yeah. to be fair, Scotty Tuhati, he he's aged better than some of the people they've got working backstage. Uh, but then basically they were just pamphlets sort of showing the women particularly how they wanted them to look, how they wanted to dress and she basically summed up as like like we don't we don't all need to look like Mandy Rose and you know she does clarify in interview like she's not trying to bury Mandy Rose. She's like it just seemed like the kind of stuff someone like like Mandy's character would have worn and it's like it works for them. It doesn't work for everybody and it's one of those things that you don't like to see, especially when it does seem like they're doing one positive thing on TV with like the doing the breakout tournament for the women. And starting next week, but then when you hear things like this, it doesn't feel like the women are now taking a step back because 
you know, the idea of them wanting all the women to look a certain way, and also there were the stories last year about them not hiring women like over 30. It does feel like they're going back to a, a dark period of how they used to present their women. Right. And the whole story from Athena that was on um on insight with Chris Van Fleet. I I she was moved to tears. And it was a hard watch and I'm a fan of Athena. I I hated how the, they used Ember Moon in her in like the last part of her run in NXT slash WWE like I I was not a fan. I thought she deserved way more. Ember Moon was so rad and she was so good and they squandered her. But her talking about how now okay let me preface by saying mandy rose i think is doing some incredible things on nxt since she's gotten there being the women's champ and now they obviously really like her look and by they i mean the people backstage really like her look and that's that's great you know and she's a beautiful woman and she's a great wrestler i what i i'm a fan of her work in the ring and and her character i think toxic attraction like you're you're building up these these two newer faces alongside mandy rose who didn't get the best rub on the main roster but now she goes on nxt and has this great run in this faction i'm loving it i'm loving everything about it but then you're making your talent go to these like seminars or meetings to where they have to or they're you're telling them what to wear, how to act, and what to post on social media, how to go about yourself, or essentially saying, be more like Mandy Rose. And you can hear Athena just be, ver- just in how she spoke about it, she was disturbed by it. That's just, she said, it's not her look, it's not her vibe, that's what she chooses not to do, that's not something that she was, and she wasn't trying to disparage Mandy Rose in the process, but I... I was uncomfortable hearing that. I don't want someone telling me, hey, like do this thing that will make you very uncomfortable and that has little to nothing to do with your on-screen presence on our product. And she cited it being when Triple H had left NXT. And that's something that's been a, a reoccurring theme as well when people talk about their time in NXT, how great Triple H was to them. And we as wrestling fans should have noticed that when whether it was when William Regal got released or even sooner than that. Right. Like, I feel like when Regal got released, that's when we were all like shot a shocked that he got the boot. But also, hey, he was inter he was integral to a lot of these people's careers in NXT and you cut him like, what does that mean? And I know folks like Shawn Michaels and a lot of the folks in the main roster have bled over to NXT and are giving them all these big, fancy Hollywood writers to do their stuff. And it's worked to varying success. But then you hear gross stuff like this. What's the point? I again, I mean, let me rephrase. I, I see what you're trying to do. And I couldn't disagree more with it. Look at all the talent you have amongst your women to specify just the women for a second in NXT. And it'd be it'd be a shame if you like if they all look the same, dress the same. What's what's that say about how your company views 
your women wrestlers, right? Or just your talent who happen to be female. What's 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 that say about your company? We've done that before within this company. We've done that. And it's there were a couple shining stars that came out of it, but there are a lot of folks who didn't or there are they aren't as looked on as highly as folks like Lita, Trish Stratus, Mickey James, right? Not everyone's like that. And I'm fearful that we're slowly reverting back to that. And we'll see with this this women's breakout tournament and the names are a part of it. I know a lot of folks are high on Roxanne Perez, the former Roxy, you know, and the things I've seen of her, I'm a fan. I, I like Roxanne, but damn, I as much as I like as much as I like Mandy Rose, I don't want everyone to look like Mandy Rose. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah. that's that's not something I'm cool with. And that's the thing about wrestling. Wrestling is supposed to be very like diverse, very different. Like you know, like people who have a like a certain look that people have, or you like a certain style. Some people wrestle, but if they all looked and or wrestled the same way, then it makes the overall show boring. Like if you have a eight match card and everyone's looking and dress dressing the same and wrestling the same kind of match, you mean by the main event you're gonna be just bored out of your mind. So you need right. everybody to look different because you look at people like Ember Moon, like her character wouldn't suit that person the, the same as like Mandy Rose or people like Cora Jade and Wendy Chu who have been going up against people like Toxic Attraction. The whole point about them standing up to the the heels of Toxic Attraction is the fact that they all have their own unique look and so also they're looked down upon by, by Toxic Attraction whose looks have been incorporated into their heel personas and like you know, those the attraction towards the end of 2012 was one of the best things that happened to the women's division because they finally had an NXT, a proper, you know, dominant female stable in the brand. But, you know, doesn't mean you need to incorporate that into the rest of NXT. Right. Right. And again, like wrestling is all about inclusivity. And we've learned that. Oh, I want to say I want to say we've learned that a lot over the past like decade almost where wrestling slowly become way more inclusive into the mainstream of like on AEW, there's a dude that curses people and we are like, we're in an age where like nothing is too out there for, for wrestling fans and for as gatekeeping or gatekeepers as wrestling fans can be, I like to think for the most part, a lot of us are very inclusive on different backgrounds and people and where they come from. But then I hear stuff like this of the biggest wrestling company in the world wants all their ladies to dress a certain way, all their all their female wrestlers to dress a certain way and present themselves a certain way on social media. That's gross. And I don't know all the details. I, I watched as much as that of that portion of Athena's interview as I could, and I just couldn't stand it. I couldn't bear it. But there may be things I'm missing. There may be things we're missing. But from what I know about it, that's not a great look. And I wonder if more people will speak out on that part of NXT in the future, especially amongst the new the new releases over the last year. Or maybe some of the higher profile people who aren't with the company anymore, who saw that firsthand. Um, I'm curious if that picks up or if that gains traction over time. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you talk so because you know we, we've been here before, with like the way it seems like the way they were treated women you know, back in a period where women's wrestling wasn't taken too seriously, and we take to direct you have to go back to to have that. But you know we do have the NXT Women's Breakout Tournament next uh, week, and they have been debuting a lot of new people for it, or they're just doing you know hype up vignettes for people who are going to debut in it, but I think if you had to put money on it, decent money on this, like uh, Roxanne Perez is pretty much going to win this, because like she's already came in hot with segments against Mandy Rose and Rex of Toxic Attraction, and you had a segment third in Wendy too, basically lock, like locking or trapping Mandy Rose in a sunbed till she goes all red, and then stealing the car keys from Toxic Attraction. So she's already feuding with the top heels on the, the brand, so I have a feeling that Roxanne Perez is probably winning and either going on to maybe take the belt from uh, Mandy or maybe she'll team up with Wendy too and they'll win the tag titles, but, you know, you know, because she's the only person that's actually been given some proper screen time and whose name I know because I look at some of the people they've already been hyping up for us, I'm like, who are you? Yeah, there's a lot of new faces, some folks who have barely gotten any screen time, but that WWE and NXT have been giving vignettes to to hype them up. Like there are a lot of a lot of names, and I I know that folks like Nikita Lyons are part of that. Fallon Henley, you know, like folks who have been featured and are the favorites to win this, especially someone like Nikita Lyons, who the second she made her debut, legitimately everybody was like, ah, oh, yeah, she's gonna be the shit going forward and she and she like she's good i think nikita lyons like obviously she has the look but i think she's also pretty damn good in the ring uh, i don't know how how much how long she's been wrestling but you know like nxt they've been they've shifted towards folks who they want to build from the ground up and nikita i think she has a huge future and I know, I believe Lash Legend is also in this. Oh, She's gosh. also in the um, in the tournament as well. Sloane Jacobs, Kiana James, Ariana Grace. There are a lot of newer faces, but that's the whole point of the breakout tournament, right? This is where our boy, and I don't know why we love him so much. Maybe um, a certain a certain uh, team of ours success or succeeded because of him. But Carmelo Hayes made his name in a tournament like this. Right on the men's side, so yeah. they they do this for a reason to expose to to give these women and give these men some exposure, some folks who we may not be as familiar with, but it succeeded in the past, and mm-hmm. will it continue to? We'll see. But as long as the matches are good and they're giving them decent time on NXT TV, I can't complain. I can complain about other stuff, but in <laughs> regards to this. I'm, I'm, my fingers are crossed. I'm hoping for the best. Yeah, yeah, me too. I can't, I can't remember the, the, I can't, uh, that last name you mentioned in the women's tournament. I believe that's the now repackaged uh, daughter of Santino Morello. So I'm interested to see what she does. And if she is not right, at yeah. any point, if she's not at any point trying to pull out the, the Cobra as her secret weapon to go through in this tournament, then I will be very disappointed. But I, I agree with what you're saying about the breakout tournament, you know, because it's unsure how. This will go not just for the winner, but for the other people involved in because last year's tournament, you know, Colin Merlo, he's won it, but I don't think anybody had 
could have seen him winning it because you know going into it, you had like the now uh, tree back, uh, then then called tree backs, and now Blake Christian again on the Indies. You had Odyssey Jones, you had Duke Hudson in there, and then also like, you look back at who they had the talent there just in the 2019 tournament. I just had to look it up for context. I think like, at least 50 percent of the original breakout tournament aren't even with the company anymore. You had Jordan Miles, ACH, who left under controversial circumstances. Isaiah Swarp Scott, no longer with the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bronson Reed. Boa, is he still there? Did he get released? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know off the top of my head. And then Dexter Lewis, the most recent one to go. So out of the eight people who got released, three are left in the original breakout tournament. That's Cameron Grimes, Angel Garza, and Joaquin Wild. That's that's crazy. Um, yeah, he's still with NXT as, uh, or according to Wikipedia. Wikipedia would never lie to us. Yeah, Wikipedia will never lie to me. <laughs> uh, Apparently, he hasn't like, been on TV since January. Uh, well, so you know, if he had, if he did get released, I wouldn't be surprised. To be honest with you. Uh, Looking at NXT, spring breaking happened recently. I thought about Karen Reigns. I've only seen the highlights that a lot of people are raving about the triple threat match that they had. It looked for a lot of it like Solo Sokoa would, would come out on top, but that wasn't to be. There was a great closing sequence where Solo had a haze and up for a small drop. Then Karen Green surprised him with a cave in for the win. Nikita uh, Lyons teamed with Corey to take on Natalia and Last Legend. He had that segment with. Uh, Wendy Chu and Roxanne Perez taking on uh, basically causing havoc for toxic attraction. Braun Breaker defeated Spicky Joe Gacy and but somehow Druids attacked him afterwards so this feud will unfortunately continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean it looks somewhat decent you know, from NXT 2.0 I don't know what your thoughts are but because, I mean, it's definitely below Vengeance and Halloween Havoc for me because it's weird that like these TV specials seem to be better than the actual takeovers they produce. Because I remember Halloween Havoc, especially, I've watched it. Like, why is this not a takeover for NXT 2.0? The Halloween Havoc was their first NXT 2.0 takeover. A lot of people's minds may have been changed at that point. Right. Yeah. The the card itself, like I that triple threat. I mean NXT and opening matches. They they will never disappoint. Right. And Cameron Grimes, uh, Solo Sokoa and Carmelo Hayes, like those three guys are absolutely incredible. Uh, Grayson Waller, Nathan Frazier, and, like, they were doing some very cool stuff. And the fact that Nathan went over, they're really presenting him to be this big deal, just like how they did Grayson Waller not too long ago. So we're going to see how all that pans out. You know, my girl, Cora Jade, has to go over. She will forever go over. I quick side. I know this is an SDL. But uh, I was very high on Cora Jade in our little our little draft, and uh, I was getting getting a lot of question marks. But Cora Jade's the shit. I'm telling y'all. And um, this the thing that bothered me about this whole show was the end, the the finish to the NXT Championship match, and how the show went off the air. That was the one thing that really really bothered me. Because it was the shortest match on the card, right? Joe Gacy and Braun Breaker. And the show kind of just ended as if they ran out of time. And I saw what happened after the match on Twitter. Someone that was there posted it. And how the Druids just came in, took Braun Breaker. It's like, oh, okay. 
cool, but like, damn, wouldn't that have been cool to see on TV instead of on Twitter? And I don't know if something just got lost in the shuffle or, or if matches went on for too long, but you can't you can't be having Braun Breaker have the the shortest match on the card, winning by just one spear after Joe Gacy was beating the hell out of him the whole time. The match was not good. It was not a good match, and that was your main event. And Braun's been looking very, very good in, in his short but incredibly stellar run on NXT. But damn, what a weird way to end it. And everything else was either all right to pretty damn good, like that triple threat. But like what you said, these these little one-off pay-per-view, not pay-per-view shows that they'll have on their weekly TV, they're they're cool. But yo, what what happened to the takeovers? I miss those. I know it's what, what that's what old NXT did, but damn, I I miss the 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 takeover. Brooklyn's and the takeover Chicago's like those are some of the best wrestling I've ever seen has come from those takeovers. And I feel like that's that's a a chapter in WWE that we are that that's closed, you know, like the second NXT rebranded takeovers went away, too. And that's a bummer. I, I think that's that's for the detriment of the company or of the promotion of NXT. Yeah, it was weird. Like the whole thing that Drew basically implies this isn't over, and like maybe NXT has a bit of an issue on the with its like main event scene right now. Joe Gacy's the only long term like feud they have for for Braun Breaker right now. Like when really Carmelo Hayes should be now slotted into that slot to take over from Braun Breaker when he's inevitably snatched up by the main roster. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's nice to, it's nice to see some, like, good stuff on NXT, like, some stuff that still feels like NXT, like, with the, the triple threat match. And then you had that, that tag team match with the Viking Warriors v. the Creed Brothers, which Creed's won with an assist from Roderick Strong. And it does feel like a shame that he is probably going to be gone soon because, you know, the Creed Brothers, it feels like they were trying to tell a story about Roderick, trying to toughen them up a little bit to go after Pretty Deadly in the tag team titles. But... Without Roderick and without Malcolm Bims, I'm worried about the Creed Brothers because they're starting to get more over the crowd and like they're finally coming into their own. But like these are guys who, while they're getting there in, in the wrestling side of things, they definitely need somebody on screen to kind of guide them and maybe talk for them. Because you know, but without mm-hmm. Malcolm Bivens and without Roderick Strong, I don't know who they could possibly get to do that. And I'm not really confident in their their promo ability right now. Yeah. Um. And the Creed brothers, they they've built them up a lot over the last few months. And, you know, a win over the Viking Raiders is a win over the Viking Raiders. But damn, like the the Roger Shang of it all, the diamond mind of it all is so is so weird. What a weird situation that they put themselves in. Like, I and I, I hate to compare it to this, but like with Hit Row. Right. One of them got released and then all of them got released. Right. So the whole faction was gone and one swoop and diamond mind like you're or diamond mind. You're just you're just teasing people, then releasing them, putting them in the faction and then you're releasing them. Geez, you release the mouthpiece. The mouthpiece of the faction's gone. And Malcolm Bivens. Like it. Oh, my God. Like, I know we said it 
at the top of the show, but Diamond Mine's so cursed. What a faction. Now, what a, what a, like the remnants, the, the remaining shards of this diamond are, are very, like they're very, they're making me very apprehensive for the future of them as a squad. Mm-hmm. Like at some point, somebody came up with the idea of, uh, of the diamond mine and secretly Danhausen snuck around and made a curse on somebody. And ever since we've been feeling the fallout of it for Diamond Mind. That's but, what it feels like, right? It really does. Thank God. But it wasn't a fun curse like he did to, to Regal on that unaired segment, but a really negative one that's led to people losing their jobs. But we've talked a lot about NXT in the early half of this this podcast. Let's move on to some main roster stuff. I mentioned Mustafa Ali's return, surprisingly, and then, you know, as a babyface as well. And then he's seemingly going to start a feud with Champa, who's been jumping in the last couple of weeks. You know, Champa is rumored to be part of this new Edge faction. But also, Asuka is finally back for I think it's been like a year that she's been gone almost. She came out to interrupt Becky Lynch, so that's an intriguing feud. You know, with no title on the line, which is rare for the main roster women's division. But uh, yeah, what do you think of these these returns to the main roster? Asuka so far has been everything we wanted it to be and more. What a breath of fresh air she brings to the women's division on Raw. Oh my god, we've missed her so much. And like what you said, putting her with Becky in a non-title feud. Um, Yes, please. Yes, I'll take all of that and more. Like We don't need Becky in the title scene all the time. And Asuka... She'll make her way back to the title mat title matches, and we're we're gonna see Bianca Asuka, and it's gonna be freaking awesome. And it's gonna be so rad. But for the time being, having Asuka pick up some wins on Becky Lynch, I and having Becky put over Asuka in her return, I think would be for the better. But the more intriguing one to me is Mustafa. Like he had this, he went from this hacker person to doing the retribution stuff and then he became Mustafa Ali, then just Ali and then he was off TV on Twitter asking for his release for months and months and months and then on a random Raw in Knoxville Tennessee, bam, he's right back on Raw and he's you know, he won a match and then he immediately gets jumped by Ciampa okay, cool and then he loses the next match granted it was a handicap match but still he loses And then Ciampa beats him up again. What's going on? What? Why? Why? Um, this another thing I don't understand. Now, if he were to beat Austin Theory in the Miz in the handicap match, okay, and then I wouldn't be as weirded out by this. But you have him lose the second match back. He got a decent reaction when he came out in Tennessee. Because who the hell was expecting Mustafa Ali to come back? Definitely not me. I'll tell you that. I will 100% stand by the fact that I thought he was going to get released at some point because he had been off TV for months and he's back and he's already one and one in his two matches. And this view with Champa that we haven't really gotten the flesh out yet is going to be a thing. But Mustafa, seeing how that goes, I have faith in Asuka. They like Asuka. We all like Asuka. I have no doubt in my mind. They wouldn't have put her with Becky if they didn't have anything big for her. But Mustafa, what's the deal with Mustafa? That's that's my 
my big takeaway from those returns. Yeah, Mustafa Ali definitely seems like somebody to be more skeptical about because it does feel like he's just put back on TV so that they couldn't, people couldn't complain about him not being used while they refused to not release him. So they had to put him back on TV. But I have a feeling very soon he'll just be used to get loose to people like Champa or Theory in the weeks to come. Asuka like, is a, a, a vital part of the women's division because from like 2020, early 2021, she was basically carrying Raw on her back alongside maybe Sasha and Bailey because she had to step into the role that Becky had left vacant when she went to have her kid. And then Becky and Bianca have come up to kind of take a lead role in, on Raw. And now Asuka's back in. You forget how important she was until she came back. Uh, so I'm a little optimistic to see how this feud goes. I'm surprised they haven't already confirmed this to be part of the WrestleMania Backlash card. Because I'd really love for that to be on the show. Because they were on like episode... They were on like opposite sides of a mixed tag. They were on opposite sides of a six-woman tag, I believe, this week on Raw. Uh, and this is the go-home. So I'm surprised that nothing's been confirmed yet. But maybe they're playing the slow game for the summer. But I definitely would like to see Athe come on top of this and maybe face Bianca for like SummerSlam. Because obviously, the Bianca's Rod title range to be better than her SmackDown one. She needs like, like a different kind of group of opponents. And uh, uh, Bianca Asuka feed is an untapped you know, well that I really love for them to do. Oh, yeah. And I mean, we, we both have our shared love of Bianca Belair. We think she's the best. And mm. a refreshing matchup like Asuka can add some layers to this to this Bianca. Like, it would, I think it'll do wonders for the both of them, right? Because I've seen some folks online that have not been the biggest fan of Bianca Belair, to my chagrin. And it's not that she's a bad worker. It's because they miss heal Bianca Belair. And you know what? I totally understand that. I That's where we all... Uh, realized her potential and how great she is and how awesome she is. And I know folks want to see a heel Bianca run on the main roster. That's valid. I understand. But we can't act like what Bianca's doing now isn't awesome, too. Granted, the last week they've, you know, put her in these weird spots. Like you said, that six person tag or the, the, it's six, the six woman tag match. And, like, Liv Morgan picked up the win. Okay, cool. Like, the, the never-ending, will they push her? Won't they push her with Liv Morgan is still a thing on Raw? And Bianca is caught up in this whole thing with Sonya Deville. And it's like, all right, whatever. I guess we're just killing time before they do Bianca and Rhea Ripley. But... The Oscar of it all, I feel good about it. I, what you said, she was one of the MVPs, if not the sole MVP of the Thunderdome era of WWE. And what she was doing was incredible. Shit, they legitimately handed her the belt when Bianca was going away. Or not Bianca, when Becky was going away. And the thing with Mustafa is that he went through months and months of asking for his release and and going on Twitter and people on his behalf saying like, yo, get this man out of the situation he's in. And then he pops back up on TV and he's all smiley. Looks like he's happy to be there. So 
what's what's going on? And I know we won't find this out for probably like another couple of weeks. Another couple centrals will go by before we figure out what the hell's going on with Mustafa Ali. But what a weird situation. It's it's a weirder than the Rod. Maybe it's as weird, if not weirder, than the Roderick Strong NXT situation. Like, you, but Mustafa was very vocal and public about his release and wanting to be released. And he comes back, and folks are like, "Oh, is that a work?" I don't. That'd be a weird ass work to ask for your release. And and they mentioned in that commentary that he didn't want to be there. That's weird. Like that we gotta we gotta figure something out. Like don't acknowledge the release and just have him come back, or I guess acknowledge the release and and make it storyline if it if it was storyline from the beginning or if it wasn't. It's just like a, a worked shoot type of situation. I don't know, but my I'm intrigued with Mustafa and I popped when he came back. Same thing for same thing for Asuka, but like I said, we all love Asuka and geez, I love Mustafa Ali. But Yo, dude, you were asking for your release on Twitter like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird. Like the situation with stuff, I think it will, or we can talk about it until we're blue in the face. I don't think we'll get any further along with right. Stuff, oh, yeah. Least, so. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. whenever if he does leave WWE and he does like Renee Young or Renee Paquette's podcast or talk as Jericho, he'll talk about it. But. In the meantime, I'll just sit here very, very confused. Mm-hmm. He does eventually, like, much when Moxley did the Jericho interview, whatever podcast he goes on to to do his first, like, proper interview after leaving will be a must-view must uh, to hear what he has to say because I'm sure he's got a lot to, to have a lot to get off his chest when that eventually does happen. But, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about WWE and, you know, some not so decent business practices or the way they treat people who work for them. Not really slowing them down because this summer they have three big stadium shows coming. They've got one, they're going to Vegas, the same stadium they went to for SummerSlam last year, reminding yep. the bank about a big stadium for SummerSlam. And they're going to the Principality Stadium in Wales on September 3rd. And to show that it was revealed during a UK, UK tour house show. Also, they just finished up the tour, just gone there. And the announcement is going to be called Clash at the Castle. <laughs> Which I don't know why I can't say that name without laughing. It's just, I don't even know Wales had a castle, to be honest with you. But You, you know, would know better than me, man. And I, I, I'm a Scottish person. I don't know anything about Wales. The, the most I know about Wales is from the show Kevin and Stacey, because some of it takes place in Wales. And even then, it's not the best place to get your information about Welsh people. So... Fair play to Wales for having a castle and for getting this show because the rest of us are jealous and we all really wish we could go. I mean, you're I'm over here stateside. I have no idea, you know, um, if there was a castle there or not. I saw the name of the show. I said, sure. Clash the castle. That's fine. I guess it could have been worse. But I, I appreciate the fact and I guarantee um, all y'all, all my buddies over there across the pond. Um, the fact that they've that they're even going back for a big show like this is a is a very big deal because it's been a while that they've that that WWE's ran a pay per view overseas, and 
like you know we're we're so spoiled over here in the states like like you mentioned we're getting money in the bank at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas we're getting SummerSlam I believe it's at the Nissan Stadium in in um Tennessee in Nashville and then they're going to Wales for this show and they're they're moving towards these bigger stadiums for all their events that they could or for as many as they can honestly and that's rad but the international shows i want to see more of those and i i guarantee folks like all of y'all are like this was the topic of conversation for a while like a bunch of a bunch of us here at essr right i believe i'm the only one at stateside that was the topic of conversation getting tickets trying to figure everything out and it was exciting for me just as a bystander because that seems so it, it doesn't happen so often like where they go overseas for a big show like this regardless of the name but yo what was your what was your first reaction to it if i can ask what about the, them coming over here yeah and them doing the show in wales granted that you say you're not necessarily in wales but that's yeah. it's jesus close enough yeah, I've never been to Wales, so it'd be a hell of an opportunity to go to Wales for the first time. Uh, to be honest, you know, I've heard the rumours for a long time about them coming back, but, you know, it was one of those, I believe it when I see it, and then I heard about it, I'm like, and then very soon after the news, we came along, Stephen shared our group chat the link to pre-register, and I'm like, I got a pre-register, like, even if I don't end up going and getting tickets for it, I have to at least pre-register for it, so I was really hyped about it. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of disappointed people, though, because from what I've heard, like, the number of people pre-registering for it is, like, a lot more than what the capacity of that stadium is. So, mm-hmm. like, the capacity is around 70,000, and, like, last I heard it was, like, more than 150,000 people had signed up for the pre-registered. Damn. So, like, more Damn. than any WrestleMania, apparently, the numbers are. So that shows you the hype uh, of the hype around this, because I think there's an excitement about them coming over for a show like this that I think... People who are on your side of the pond really haven't felt in a long time because you get the place where also you'd be hyped for coming coming through to your show because you can go to your show and if the card's particularly strong, but like the idea of them coming here at all, I think is particularly strong. Like I remember Raw and SmackDown went were in Glasgow for in twenty sixteen. Even we went me and my brother, we went to both nights and it was a hell of a show. And then I've been to NXT in Blackpool. The first one that was really good, but they're actually going to an actual pay per view, and I'm calling it a pay per view, not a premium live event, an actual pay per view, because they're hyping up. They're in a big stadium, you know. I'm the idea of being able to go, I'd be hyped for you if I can't get tickets. So, but I will definitely be on that site as early as I can be the day they go. And so, because I think towards the end of May they'll be going on sale, and you know, from what I've heard uh, from people who are wanting to go. The biggest, a tougher chance won't be getting tickets. I'll be getting a place to stay in Cardiff because people are already booking hotels in the Cardiff area in anticipation of being able to go. But how raging would you be if you booked a hotel for that weekend in Cardiff and you couldn't get tickets? Right, right. And I, I'm so glad you mentioned the 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 like pre-registration portion of this because the the amount of people who were looking forward to this show. It far eclipsed any pay-per-view premium live event, whatever you want to call it. And if that doesn't speak volumes enough, right? And you can even even when the the talent 
talks about going overseas. I, I believe it was Sami Zayn. He said that the crowd in Paris was the best he'd seen since they returned the touring. Like folks are excited for WWE to go to these newer places, right? Like all all of us over here in Chicago. I don't get me wrong. I'm I'm thinking about going to Hell in a Cell in June. I believe it's in June. In June, like I'm thinking about it, but they're not out here. No one. 150,000 people aren't pre-registering for the Hell in a Cell in Chicago. That that's not that's not what's happening. For a stadium show in Wales, like you're doubling there's you doubled the registration then there is capacity within it. Like that mm-hmm. is outrageous. And like what you said, it, that's bigger than WrestleMania's. And I I don't know what else people have to do for WWE to hear them. And I wouldn't be surprised if this opened up the doors to more shows like that to expand outside of of like just the all it let's go to let, let's go overseas the one time in five years and we'll go back later. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this becomes a yearly thing, whether it is just in Wales or if they expand it to where they do multiple shows. Geez, they already go out to Saudi Arabia at least twice mm-hmm. a year. So yeah. what's what's the difference? You know, geez, I, I don't know um, the the um, the routes and how how far the states are from Saudi Arabia and from Wales, but I can't imagine them being too far off if not Wales is closer. You know, so I I don't know off the top of my head, but this will probably become a yearly thing, and I wouldn't be surprised if it became a thing where they run multiple shows overseas in different countries. Yeah, I mean, they say they want to do more stadium shows. They want that to be the norm for their shows going forward to help them all like, feel big. And there's no shortage of stadiums they could run internationally if they want to do that. I think going to more, doing more international is the way to go. You know, I'm hopeful it becomes uh, a thing like more regularly that they do this like in the UK. But, you know, part of me is, is saying the fact, that, you know, it's 30 years this year since they last did a big show like this in the UK, which was SummerSlam 82. So I feel on the anniversaries, maybe. Got something to do that because apparently they are planning on listing a special like Blu-ray of SummerSlam '92 to commemorate the anniversary, you know. And weirdly enough, I reviewed SummerSlam '92 for a different podcast like last year. I'd never seen it before. Didn't like it. Like other than the Brett Bulldog match, it's pretty crap. Uh, SummerSlam '92, <laughs> to be fair. But but you know, I'm happy it'll be a hypocrite because if I get tickets for this, and even if in hindsight this show turns out to be crap. I'll always be like, I was there, so I don't care. <laughs> but, you know, right. It'd be interesting to see, because if you book tickets, you basically now have to accept whatever it is they give you. So, given how close this is after SummerSlam, like SummerSlam's July 30th, this is the 3rd of September, so there's every chance that they could just do a bunch of SummerSlam rematches at this show, but just, like, well, it's the same match you saw at SummerSlam, but in a different country. Yeah, and that's always the the risk you, like, I think that's what bothers me about the um like these bigger i don't like the name premium live event because then it gives off the impression of it being a house show just incredibly gaudy and extra and that's where like i remember they would do like did you have you seen beast in the east i did yes 
it's a glorified house show. It's a house show that they just they, they that they filmed, right? And is it cool to see? Yeah, and that Brock Lesnar was there. Yeah, it's cool. But I feel like some of the Saudi Arabia Saudi Arabia shows have also turned into that, where it's just a house show, just incredibly. It's the production value is times a million, and I'm scared that this show will turn out to be like that as well. But with all the hype and like what you said, the pre-registrations with this, like this is going to be a big deal. And it would be a damn shame if WWE squandered that opportunity to bring a kick-ass show overseas to Wales and then just didn't do anything with it. Will we see SummerSlam rematches? Probably. But we could see, I know there's been a lot of contention about When's Roman Reigns going to drop one of the belts? It's it's no secret that folks are thinking Drew McIntyre is going to win in Wales. Oh, so, famous Welshman Drew McIntyre. Yes, right. So, like, I I'm wondering how. Um, I'm, am I am I apprehensive? Yes, because WWE is giving me reason to. But I like to think that for this one damn time, they'll do something cool. And we'll see. But like what you said, tickets go on sale and they're going to sell out within minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, like any, any time a show of anything comes over here, like they do tend to sell out. Even when I, did, I got my tickets for the first Blackpool takeover, I almost lost, I think I lost one section of tickets and then had to then refresh, go and get more tickets before they all sold out. So like that was a very 10 to 10, 15 minute period for me just getting tickets for a takeover of a brand that WWE is clearly showing they don't give a fuck about. Uh, so just imagine right. getting tickets for this thing. Yeah, that show. And, and another show we're going to talk about in a little bit. Like, the, these bigger shows, these novelty shows, they're messes to get tickets to. But it's... I hope this shows WWE that they could run bigger shows in other countries and it be just as successful, if not even more so, that they do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you say you look, you're in Chicago. I'm sure there's a big show coming in Chicago in June that we're going to talk about later on. I'm sure that people you're neck of the woods would love to try and get tickets for, you know, more oh. than that. And well, uh, yeah, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But, you know, talking about WWE and the other premium live events, yeah, we got one this weekend. We got WrestleMania Backlash. Talking about rematches, uh, we got a couple of rematches and a couple of matches. You know, some changes to the card and what we were expecting because we have, you know, we have a rematch of Charlotte Flair and Ronda Rousey this time. It's an I Quit match. We got Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins again. AJV Edge and AJ Styles again. But this time, Dean Priest is now barred from ringside. Happy Corbin is going to take on Mad Cat Moss. Uh, Bobby Lash is doing almost now with MVP in his corner, and what was originally going to be, uh, what, was it, what was originally going to be the Usos versus RK Bro in a tag team unification match, has now turned into Drew McIntyre and RK Bro taking on the, all three members of the Bloodline in a six-man tag team match. I part of me thinks that match is only just made because both Drew and both Drew and Roman were wanted on the card, just didn't know how to do it. I think they kind of burned through Drew's feud with Sammy quickly and smashed so I thought, okay, we'll move Roman into this thing because it does feel like at least one of those belts is going to go to to Drew. You no, know, maybe he'll, he'll win it in the UK, but 
would they book start booking this so far ahead of time? Because uh, recent times, I'm not really a biggest fan of booking too far in advance. So okay, I know that Roman Reigns and him having both belts is a very cool visual, but this is the problem you run into with having both of your world championship titles on the same guy. Like we are just in this creative lull period where, Oh, we want to do McIntyre reigns, but we don't want to do it yet. So we'll put him in this tag match. So, okay. Like the rest of the card, right? Like Rhodes and Rollins. I'm very much looking forward to them doing it again. Yes. That's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing Rousey and Charlotte, if I'm being honest with you. I mean, I've been their, I may not be their biggest fan, especially with their WrestleMania match. They, they just had it not too long ago. But an I quit match. This could be cool. And I'm more forgiving to Ronda Rousey than some other wrestling fans are. So that's that's a whole different can of worms for a different day. But there's some fun matches on this card. I'm looking forward to Edge Styles. Like no Damian Priest, are we gonna see Finn Balor? Okay, I'm I'm looking forward to that because but plus that match was fun at WrestleMania. But this damn main event, oh my god, I can't stand it. Okay, so let's 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 try to run this back right from the beginning. RK Bro retains the Raw Tag Team Championships at WrestleMania. The Usos retain the SmackDown Tag Team Championships at WrestleMania. Now the Bloodline wants all the belts, so the Usos want the Raw Tag Team titles. RK-Bro says, yeah, sure, let's unify the belts in the match at WrestleMania Backlash. That's your build for weeks. Literal weeks. Not just one week, not just two weeks, at least three weeks of build have been dedicated to let's unify the tag belts. Usos versus RK-Bro. And then, all of a sudden, the night you're supposed to do the contract signing, which those are so much fun in wrestling. Everyone loves a good contract signing. Roman Reigns comes out, rips up the contract, and inserts himself into the match alongside Drew McIntyre. Now it's just a six-person tag match with no belts on the line, no winner-take-all, no nothing like that. It's just a six-person tag. What the hell? What the hell? I, I was I was invested in that tag match, the unification match, and now that's gone. For a measly six person tag, come on, that's that's dumb, that's lame. Yeah, I think there was they did tease like that they wanted him to try and make it a match for all the belts, like that Rowan had to defend his belts in the match as well. But then you create kind of a booking issue there because I this is when they do want to do the unification of the the two tag belts, but. I don't think they want to do it in this kind of match, so they're probably not going to end up going with that. But I think it's a case of like keeping this going because I think Drew is one of the few challengers across both shows that they have for Roman for either belt. And then, to be fair, RK Bro and the Usos have went through pretty much every other tag team on their respective shows, so I think they want to keep the feud between the, those two teams going. So I think it's just a case of they want to keep it going for at least another month or so. And that's really the only way they could figure out how to do it. So, I do, I do think even if, if he, whether he's winning it or if he's coming in as the defending champion, Drew will have one of those belts come clash at the castle. 
Oh, you think he's going to win it before then? Well, it's a long way out from from the show for them to start because we got Hell in the Cell World something in June. Yeah, it's start of July yeah. is Money in the Bank, and then end of July is SummerSlam. So, you know, uh, remember like how much they get like three pay-per-views and really had him losing to Bobby Lashley at the start of like 2021, and that really just made me yeah. care less and less about him and to extend the WWE title. So, have him win it at either Money in the Bank or SummerSlam. Because it'll be in a big team, he'll get, get the poppy show at Mania 36, and then he can come in as a defending champion, come Clash at the Castle, because, you know, he's the closest thing to a hometown guy that they're, they're going to get, because they don't, they're not really swimming in Welsh talent on the WWE. But, you know, right. I think there's, a, I think there's a, a solid feat to build with Roman and Drew, because they teased it when they were doing the champion champ thing at. Uh, Survivor Series in 2012 where Roman would say like I'm a champion you're just a, a belt holder and everything and so there's definitely something to do there you know you can have Roman say like no you were champion but that was during a time where there was nobody here well I've been champion we've been you know, making record breaking deals we're selling out stadiums I'm the champion I've unified the belts and it's in obviously Drew trying to show that he can still be the top guy because there was a lot of talk in our central chat about you know, about you know, this New York Times article or New York Post article saying that Roman was still a step off from being the top guy because, you know, he didn't have that little, like, top feud or whatever it was. Yeah. And, like, to the things he's greatest rival war was one of them is, is Brock Lesnar, but, you know, with the proper time and care and booking, you can make Drew and Roman, like, one of the better rivalries of the right recent times. And it's hard, right? Like that that article you're referencing, like I was one of the people that shared it and I I thought it would be a good discussion point for a show like this. But then it just got me thinking. It's hard to compare WWE now to the past. And we will never, 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 never have another Rock Austin. That'll never happen again. We got close. You know, with like with Cena and his various like his feuds with Edge, Randy Orton, uh, CM Punk, folks like that, right? But Rock Austin is like, like that was like like uh, but before him it was like on uh, before them it was like Andre and and Hogan, Hogan and Warrior, all these. But Rock Austin was that's when wrestling was like the shit, and folks were. Invested in the both of them, two of the most over stars in wrestling history, two guys who who transcended pro wrestling and are just staples in pop culture still, and Steve Austin and The Rock. Roman Reigns is slowly becoming a household name. I can't if I were to call my mom right now and ask her who Roman Reigns is, she would have no idea who that is. Now, if I ask her who Stone Cold Steve Austin is, she would definitely know who that is. And that's the problem you run into, right? Like, you built Roman up to be this incredible champion, which he is. Like, I, I'm not here to, to diss Roman Reigns. What I am here to diss, though, is how they've handled Roman Reigns since giving him both belts. The man does not wrestle on weekly TV. If he does... Like he, I know he hasn't done it in a while, and if he does, the matches are short, and you know he's going to win, right? Okay, great. But 
how they've handled Roman has like you're you're exposing the flaws within your main event scene. Like you just said, how Drew McIntyre he's like one of the few guys, few not like not even a handful of people that we would expect to take the belt off of Roman. Right? There's him, Cody Rhodes seems like another logical choice, Seth Rollins, and there's a couple people you can argue for, but no one else is in that echelon, right? At least as of right now, in my opinion. And Roman, you're telling me, I know folks are like, oh, let's, let's do, we're going to have Roman carry the belt for another year until next WrestleMania. Is that going to be fun to watch over the next year of WWE programming? Roman Reigns just, Popping up on Raw and SmackDown, talking his shit and leaving and barely wrestling on the weekly TVs. He'll wrestle on pay-per-views. He'll beat the guy. We'll all know he'll beat him. And that's it. Like, it's not that's to me. It's already not fun anymore. And I'm waiting for Roman to drop at least one of the belts. It's a matter of time. And I am eagerly anticipating it. Because, damn, this is, I was not for the title unification at WrestleMania, and this is exactly why. We've run into a creative wall that now we have to try and climb over. And, okay, you chose Drew McIntyre to be the guy to feud with Roman for the summer. The summer just started, and we're already having the first match. There's no way, no way this can carry on to the Clash of the Castle, and it still feel fresh and compelling i will find that very hard to believe there's no way yeah just you look at it, who else there is there's him cody maybe say i mean they already did that but okay i feel like there was stuff left on the table bobby you know biggie looks feel like someone they could have came back to because they got a breeze through that as part of a champion reach out thing at survivor series but biggie's now out for we don't know how long he's going to be gone for and when I say Drew's going to win one of the belts, we all know that it's going to be the WWE belt if it's going to be either mm-hmm. of them because the Universal belt's not going anywhere until at least WrestleMania. And a lot of people talk about the Roman Rock thing, and I think if they could have already gotten the Rock for this year's Mania, they would have done it already. I think the only part of the only reason, not the whole reason, but at least 50% of why Roman's been the champ for so long is because they haven't yet been able to do him versus the Rock. Because they've kind of been setting this up for him before he was the tribal chief, but then they did the whole story with him and Jay and the family and the bloodline. And it feels like the one person that he has to topple to officially be considered the head of the, the family is The Rock. And, you know, they want to do that, but, you know, they're in Hollywood next year. And even then, that's not a, a guarantee that The Rock's even going to be available or even be allowed to wrestle because, you know, insurance wise they don't want him to wrestle because last time he, got, he wrestled he got injured but you know even with the, even then what's the payoff there does the rock win i'm sure there are people who'd be happy about it but look at all the people that roman reigns has defeated how he's he stacked two guys on top of each other who could have beaten him two wrestlemanias ago and only to then lose to the rock like but even then like Doing the rock thing is like a lose lose situation, I think, because either the rock wins and a part timer wins it, maybe they only lose it back to Roman. So you wonder who benefits. Then Roman gets a big pop from beating the rock, because a lot of casuals will come back to see the match. But then you're like, 
okay, you blowed through all these people because you're waiting to get to the rock, beat the rock, now what? Right. Like, and then New York Post article mentions a great point. Roman doesn't have that one rival that sticks out, right? And technically, like, Cena didn't have just one either, but, like, I, I, I'm I, still in the camp to where, like, Cena is another one, of the, another one of those guys that transcended wrestling, and it's just a pop culture figure, right? And Roman's not there yet, not saying he won't get there. It's a matter of time, I feel like before Roman's that next guy to jump over and start doing the movies. But as of right now, Roman's just a singular person who is lacking that big feud. And folks mentioned Brock Lesnar. I know you mentioned him not too long ago. They've done that so many times before to varying success. And for the most part, the matches or the, or the buildup or the outcome was just not good. This past one, I thought was... Cool. The match was very lackluster to me, but the buildup was incredible, right? And I still wouldn't put that on the same wavelength as Rock Austin. Maybe it's my bias towards Rock and Austin, or just my my already my apprehensiveness towards Roman Reigns having both belts, just clouding my judgment. But I I don't I, I can't help but agree with the idea that. Roman's lacking that big feud to really make him become like the biggest champion, the biggest champion ever. And I'm fearful that come next year where they expect him to wrestle Dwayne Johnson or the rock, right? He, the rock won't be available and that he won't be able to do it. He'll be too busy shooting black Adam two, and he'll need to, He'll he'll need to focus on that, and they're gonna have Roman wrestle Drew McIntyre again or Brock Lesnar again. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. I don't want them to build this. That's the problem with long term booking because something could easily change, and then you're screwed. You're absolutely screwed. And with Roman, I think we've I I think we got a little ahead of ourselves with this. Tribal Chief character, awesome. Roman Reigns right now as a character, awesome. His matches, or lack thereof, his matches, um, I'm, I'm not a fan, personally. But we'll see. But WrestleMania Backlash, uh, by the way, if if we are doing predictions, RK-Bro and Drew McIntyre are 1,000% winning. I think that could be. I think part of the reason Roman's in here is because he's kind of been, like, being the heavy hand, basically getting the blood like, you better unify these tag belts like I did with the, the world titles and then the idea of like you know he's yeah, been overseeing them and then if one of them gets pinned because Roman's not taking the pin if they lose uh, no. he can then be even more angry with them like it can further restore them between them like you let me down at Backlash you guys are supposed to become the unified tag team champions you know it just furthered the storyline between the family which could then be used to help bring in the rock and everything so the interesting ones I'm sure you know, booking whether or not it makes sense aside, it'll be a hell of a match. Cody V said, you know, he's seen it for a great match. And part of the reason I wanted Becky uh, Becky versus Becky versus uh, Asuka, Asuka is because so far we've only got one match that's a women's match on the show. They already did the Sonya Deville Bianca Belair thing on Raw, and we've got Charlotte Ronda here, and I quit match, which 
I could not give two shits about, honestly. I hated the match at WrestleMania. It was just so underwhelming. Mm-hmm. I don't care about it now. AJ, AJ will probably be good, but if they, if it's going to lead to, oh, well, Damon Breeze can't come back, who's a new member of Judgment Day, either Champa or Ripley, it'll basically be like, lead to Edge, where it will be the exact same finish that they did at WrestleMania. Right. Happy Corbin v. Moss, not exactly. That's a match, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, that's a, hopefully a match that gets put to the pre-show. And then almost the Bobby Lashley, you know, it was short at WrestleMania, but seemingly not short enough to hide how green almost still is. And even with MVP in it, I'm still not enthused to see it again because, but you kind of need to, you don't want to have almost taking too many losses as to still be taken seriously as a giant. But at the same time, Lashley, I don't think can take a clean loss to almost because, like I said, after Drew, Lashley and Cody are the only ones I can still see given Roman a convincing loss. Yep. Like, I'm... Like, this is... This is so... Such a weird time booking-wise in wrestling. Like, shout-out to Cody Rhodes for being, like, the shit. And in his his time back from... In Dota B, like, he's been crushing it. Promos, matches... I'm, I'm... I'm such a Cody mark, but I've... His run so far has exceeded all expectation... And I I know it makes it would make sense for Seth to win at Backlash. I'd be surprised if Cody lost. I really would. Yeah. yeah. So you know, there's stuff to enjoy. There's stuff that really you have very low expectations of, but maybe the low expectations will make it a more you know, enjoyable overall show uh, to look at. But let's move over to AEW as we go to our last few stories. A uh, story that I don't know if I've put it in the notes, but it kind of just developed over the last day or so. Uh, we had a few stories about, you know, Joey Janela and Margot Spencer, some people who AEW aren't really released, but just let their contracts expire. Right. They don't, it becomes a big story when this happens because they don't do releases like WWE does, even though they, have, they do. Some people would argue they have too many people on the roster. Now, a random like person seemingly never been removed from the AEW roster and his contract seemingly not been renewed. Stu Grayson of the the Dark Order is seemingly, you know, not being renewed his contract. He kind of hadn't been on TV for a while, while, and I'll be honest with you, if he told me a Dark Order member suddenly been released, he wouldn't be the one I would have mentioned because yeah, he's not the most featured player in the Dark Order. But like his tag teammate Evil Uno was one of the first prominent. Like they were like they were the Dark Order when it started, right. and you know. So they're a hell of a tag team. They've got some of the best tag team finishers, I think, in the tag team division. You know, it's not a match-ending move, but the fact that he has a, a basically elevated backbreaker that he calls Nightfall makes the DC Comics fan in me smile. Uh, but, like, yeah, John Silver is the star because, you know, they've been the elite stuff. And you've got Ten, who's a favourite of Negative One, and appears on, like, some of the YouTube stuff and everything. You've got Colt Cabana, you know, he's Colt Cabana. But then, like... You got Alex Reynolds, who other than occasionally team with John Silver does nothing. Then you got Alan Angels, who also does very little. So why Stu Grayson of all of them just suddenly just say like, oh yeah, he's no longer a part of it because what happens with Evil Uno now? Because I was really enjoying those two as a tag team. Yeah, I'm. I mean, like Stu Grayson just being taken off of the AEW roster page, and that's what that's what a lot of this is being based off is that he's just gone off the roster page, which seemingly means that 
they're not a part of the roster anymore, that their contract got expired or they got released or whatever. But that's... I don't want to say, like, obviously this isn't, this isn't like, I don't want to say Stu Grayson's, like, like a Cody Rhodes-level departure from AEW, but still pretty weird nonetheless. Like, the Dark Order's been a prominent feature of their programming since the beginning, Stu being a part of that, and then he just disappears, and we're just going to act like Stu wasn't a part of the Dark Order now when Dark Order pops up on TV or on Dark or Elevation? Like, I'm... I, I don't know how to how to tackle this. And honestly, I, I'm curious into how AEW will will acknowledge this, if at all. Cause damn, like that's a that's an integral part of Dark Order just to let go, you know? Yeah, I doubt we'll get any reference to him being going at all um, with the Dark Order because they're kind of just doing their own thing. You know, they've kind of just moved to like the background players for Hangman Page. So, you know, I, honestly, I don't know what they're doing with the Dark Order right now anymore. I just don't. Uh, but, like, the fact that he and Evelyn were around from the days where nobody knew who they were, they were literally chatting, who are you, when they debuted and they were kind of made a joke of, and you'd been there through it all. And then for him, he just suddenly go, like, it, it's weird, like, yeah, at least people who you don't have anything for, but surely he, alongside Evelyn, you could find something for in the tag division and literally I will say this until he goes eventually but like everybody who's you know, look at people who are being like go or like having contracts by Luther is still there for some reason he's still there on dark and dark elevation doing nothing of note yep. and, and until he eventually leaves I will still say whenever someone goes this person's gone and Luther's still there <laughs> No, that's that's valid. And again, there, and I I will always critique AEW on the roster size. Like I know people like to give WWE shit for their roster and how big it is, but AEW for only having like three hours of weekly television, with the exception of Dark and Elevation, like that's like their roster is gigantic, especially when. Dark and Elevation are essentially AEW talent versus enhancement talent. And that's like it's those two shows are used for their talent to pick up wins for their official records, whatever. But there's so many people on AEW's roster that we don't see on a weekly basis. And Dark Order just got lost in the shuffle over time for whatever reason. And if if Stu is for real gone, if he just let his contract expire or if Tony didn't want to re-sign him for whatever reason, it's it's fascinating. And I would love to hear Stu's two cents on that. Because the folks that leave AEW, I, I like, the, you know how everyone loves looking forward to the exit WWE interview, right? Mm-hmm. But the exit AEW interview, I want to say the only crazy one we've gotten was Swole, Big Swole, when she left. When she got released, but because like Cody hasn't had like a big scathing AEW interview, and not saying that Swole's was, but Cody's been real vague and coy about his time leaving AEW, right? Just saying like it was time that he wanted to leave, whatever, wanted to change of pace. But I love to see more talent that leave AEW 
give their two cents on the company. You know, pull the curtain back just a little. It's just like how all the released WWE talent, when they get their interviews, they talk about their time there. I want to hear more of that from AEW, whether it's Stu or Joey Janela or whoever the hell else. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how much you'll be able you'll get to say about it, but you know, Cody is going to appear on the next Broken Skull Sessions. But I think it's coming out this weekend, so if he's going to get a chance to say anything on WWE related program about AEW, it's going to be this because you know they had Jericho on, and Jericho is a big part of AEW, so there's still the chance he could he could do that. But to be honest, we after the big Swanson, and I don't look forward to the big you know post AEW interview. I look forward to the reaction to the post AEW interview because. Yeah, Tony Khan making an idiot of himself by just saying, oh, well, you're basically crap anyway. Uh, and then you have basically, you'll have people who are really like to defend AEW basically shitting on whoever, said, whoever says this about AEW or says anything negative about why they might want to leave AEW. So, you know, it, it, is, it is going to be interesting if we get more of these because I, I have a weird feeling it's going to be more like, like, if someone leaves AEW, there'll be more people clamoring to defend the company than when someone leaves WWE. We'll just put it like that. Right. No, 100%. Mm. But Tommy AEW, they are still trucking along and, you know, doing very well. And also, they're hyping up their next big baby, which will be Dull or Nothing. It's pretty much one of their key marquee events of the year. Uh, and it'll be back in Vegas finally. You know, it's where they like to consider its home uh, for the first time since, you know, like since the first one because of the pandemic put an end to that for the last couple of years. And they have already confirmed one match for the show and it's going to be the main event, CM Punk versus Hangman Adam Page. And the weeks leading up to that show are going to be very interesting and then the reaction and the biggest credits there because, you know, there is a part of my mind that says as soon as that bell rings, they are going to boo the hell out of Hangman because the idea of Punk becoming the champion is going to be just too much for that crowd. I am very intrigued in this match because Hangman's world title reign, in my opinion, hasn't been the best. Hasn't been bad. Hasn't been the best either, but it hasn't been too long, too. And then you have a guy like Punk, right? He's His only loss, losses are to MJF and stuff. And folks have been wanting Punk to win the big one. and He's been very vocal about winning the big one. Okay. And... When this match was first rumored, the discourse was, oh, Hangman's totally winning, right? Right? And then people started to think about it a little bit more. And this is a coin flip. This, honestly, I, I can't tell you something in confidence. If you told me to put money on who's winning between CM Punk and Hangman Page, I wouldn't, wouldn't know who to put my, put my money on. And me being the Chicago boy, I love CM Punk, and I think CM Punk will definitely get his his time with the AEW world title. But will it be right now? That's the question. Or will it be at double or nothing? That's the question. But I'm curious to see how this feud goes going forward. It could be interesting, like especially it doesn't even need to be a win done. It could lead to something characterized because you see Punk saying, you know, over the last couple of months saying I'm still figuring out who I am and you know there's part of me that still wants Punk to to go back to being a heel because to me personally I think heel Punk is best Punk and so this could be the avenue if you turn Punk heel in this match then you can get fans on Hangman's sake because Punk 
no matter how much the fans might want to cheer him, he can get you to boo him with just the simplest of methods. Oh, yeah. Like, I went to a Glasgow house show in 20, November 2012 when he was leading into his, like, towards the end of his long WWE title reign. And obviously, Punk got a big response. You know, there was a lot of Punk merch being sold at that show. And so Punk, knowing he had to be the heel in the main event, got on the mic and said, you know, thank you for that. You know, I, I'm really overwhelmed by that response. I didn't know I had so many fans here in Dublin. And then everybody instantly <laughs> turned on. <laughs> That's great. I mean, it's cheap heat, but it fucking worked on that night, I'll tell you. Oh, I fucking bet it worked. <laughs> it definitely worked that night. And so he, he can give you back on side. And I think if Hyman then comes back to beat heel punk, it can help get him to the next level because he's not had a bad run of matches. You know, he had those two stellar matches with, with Brian. He had the match with with Archer, which, yeah, may, may have seen a bit filler. But, you know, he still got to bleed and have a hardcore match. He had two matches, prominent matches against Adam Cole. So, you know, at least, like, Cole was always going to be in the title scene. And, you know, they had some solid matches there. And then you got to give Dante Martin, you, you, albeit short, but you got to give somebody who you wouldn't have otherwise seen in the title scene you know, look, give him a chance to look like a main eventer for one week. So, you know, he's had a, a diverse group of challengers. So I don't think he's been the worst strain. I mean, to be honest with you, Moxley had some pretty boring title defences. I'm pretty sure he defended the title against like the Jake Hager and uh, Frankie Kazarian on random weeks during the pandemic era. And, you know, so not every challenger you're going to have is going to be the best. But, you know, I don't think he's we should all, and it's like, right, oh, he's the worst AEW champion ever. He's always the most boring already. Like, because he just come. I think the issue was he was coming off that long run to it, and everyone popped about it. And then also, like, he went into a feud with a still fresh Brian, and that suddenly got people thinking, like, who, who do I root for here? And then he got into a feud with a very popular Adam Cole, and then people thought, who do I root for here? And now he's right. going in with super popular CM Punk. So. You know, there's a, almost everybody has their fans in AEW, there's a lot of popular people, but it just feels like, despite how over it was, Hangman seems to unfortunately fall into having great matches, they are great matches, but just getting people who may just be a little bit more popular than he is. I'm so fascinated by this match, and the fact that they announced it so, so soon, first one announced, and... We're going to be building and building and building towards it. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a punk heel turn or if you just start doing some heelish things because Lord knows uh, no one's going to boo cowboy shit. But, oh, man, I I don't know who who would even come out on top in the situation. And the best part is that that's going to be the case for the entire build for this match is that we're not going to know. Like, because who, like, there's no one that's confident in a certain way, right? It's Punk and his stardom against Paige, his belt, and his r- rapidly growing superstardom in AEW, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to lean if if I had to. But there's a certain Chicago show that's coming up after Double or Nothing that may give the edge to to punk but i wouldn't even say that in confidence i don't know i i don't know what the hell's going on and honestly 
that's a good feeling to have when watching wrestling. Uh huh. Because it's weird to see like there's so many people like with that show against New Japan that people say like oh we should have Okada be Danielson or Okada versus Punk or bring Kenny back to have a rematch with Okada and then seemingly people are just overlooking the idea of like the like the idea of having Hangman versus Okada you know the current reigning you know the two current reigning world champions of both companies just doesn't seem to cross anybody's mind which does again show what people are thinking of Hangman as champion so far. But hell, Okada might not even go into the show as champion because before Forbidden Door, we've got uh, Dominion where he's fighting Jay White. So Jay White could go into Forbidden Door as a champion, which a, which a Jay White hangman match would actually be very interesting. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. That that role. There's so many possibilities. And that's that I, I like the unpredictability of of this match because there's. I, I feel like in wrestling now there's a lot of oh this person this person is totally going over because they're they're either a already super over with the crowd or b it would make sense for story but punk and hangman who the hell knows I guarantee I I can't even say that I I want I'm just gonna watch it and whoever wins I'm gonna I'm a cheer regardless mm-hmm. but damn the reception from the crowd there in Vegas is gonna be awfully telling. Yeah, it definitely will be. I think how they book that over the next couple weeks will be will play into how the fans react to it. Before we go into our two big questions for the week, I just want to talk about uh, the Owen Hart Memorial Tournament and looking at the people who have qualified so far because the finals of both the men's and women's tournament are going to be at uh, double or nothing. So, so far for the men's, Samoa Joe, Kyle O'Reilly, Adam Cole, Dax Harwood, Darby Allen have all qualified and the next two qualifying matches are going to be Dante Martin v. Ray Phoenix and a match, I can't believe I'm reading out in 2022, Jeff Hardy versus Bobby Fish. They're both going to take place uh, at the time we're going to, on tonight's Dynamite. And for the women's side, uh, two people who we've both got a vested interest in, Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter are both qualified. Yeah. Uh, Rashida's qualified, Red Velvet, Ruby Soho and Dr. Britt Baker. And apparently the only other qualifying match that's still to happen is Yuka Sakizaki versus Rio, which is going to take place on this week's uh, episode of Rampage. No bracket or matches have been in for the men's side, and we don't know what the bracket really is going to look like for the women's, but we do know at least one match that Jimmy Ayer and Tony Storm are going to face each other in the first round, where everybody else is going to be positioned in that tournament, we don't know. But it's led to some good matches, this, these qualifiers, because, you know, people who didn't, who were wrestling but didn't even qualify, like, Swerve, Tomohiro Ishii, Jungle Boy, Dax had to be his own tag partner to get into the tournament, you know, and, you know, there's, there's some top talent on the women's side, some of the better ones they've got uh, qualifying for this tournament. So, you know, they've got a lot, of, they're very top heavy in the upper mid card scene in AEW. I think this tournament's proved it's a good way to kind of utilize them heading to double or nothing. Oh, 100%. And although we haven't gotten a bracket yet on either side, for men's and women's. I love how they're treating this like a super big deal. And they're putting it over on commentary too. I think uh, I think it was Punk during the 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 Cash and Dax match where he said that folks were like guys are clamoring to be part part of this. The gals are clamoring to be part of this tournament. They're really putting it over and when they actually assemble the bracket, 
like this this could turn into like dream matches galore on both sides mm. and i mean it already is turning into that like you mentioned fish and hardy right so on yeah. i i want to see a bracket but i'm already incredibly intrigued and fascinated by this and they're really putting it over and that's what's surprising me because it took them a minute to get this off the ground at least with having qualifier matches but now that we're, ha- we're having at least two a week like we're really jumping into this and we gotta <laughs> get the ball rolling by double or nothing so hell yeah i'm all for this i'm loving this tournament so far and it hasn't even started yeah 100 i mean we already had tag partners face each other. I'd love to see what would happen if the bracket gets If we somehow there's a possibility of an O'Reilly Cole match at some point, uh, right. I've only seen highlights of it, but I've seen people with the Dax and Cash match. They've put up side by side comparisons to some of Brett's matches, with the likes of Owen and people like that, and how the guys oh, did yeah. the same spots as some of those matches. And I think the main reason they even did those two in a match is because they maybe pay tribute to the time Owen fought Bulldog. Well, they're both still tag champs over the European title, so it'll be a hell of a match. Uh, Ellie's favourite, even before he was even meant to have a qualifier, I, I already said I think Adam Cole's the favourite to win the men's one because I think there's actually a lot of similarities between him and a heel Owen Hart and that they both love to brother to throw their hands at him and you know, taunt, and also they don't mind being made a fill of when they need to be. Oh, geez. In regards to favorites, I mean, I'm a little biased on the women's side for obvious reasons uh, that listeners of VSSR would be frequent to. But the men's side, oh, man. I. Oh, man. I. Yeah, Cole would be rad. I like to see someone like Swerve take that, but like. Or so, excuse me, like Darby take that, but Darby's had enough. Uh, duh. Joe would be cool. There's so. Oh man, I don't know. I I don't Cole. I like the Cole pick, but again, the tournament hasn't. Um, we don't know the bracket yet. We could see some crazy shit happen between now and when the bracket's actually released, and the matches how those will stack out or stack up. But damn, this is gonna be cool as hell. Like I'm, I'm very happy with AEW doing this, and I like this becoming a a yearly. It's gonna be an annual thing, right? I'm sure I heard somewhere that they said that's the hope, at least because they want Owen yeah, to be so, on March. I bought the Owen Hart Memorial shirt that they brought, and they want want to be in the video game. So I'm sure I'd, I'd love for them to actually do this on a regular basis, especially. Yeah, you know, double or nothing. So I think they can. Eat. I'd actually like from them they can see no stuff like the battle royal on that to like all. Or even though they're not in Vegas, because I think in terms of getting people on the card for double or nothing, doing this tournament, it's a better way than just shoving everybody in battle royals. Right, right. Yeah, I'm. I'm so on board with this, and I'm. Hell yeah! I I just give me a bracket, damn it! I want to. I want to freaking <laughs> predict the damn bracket already. I mean, the, the final qualifiers are this week, and uh, one of them's at the end of the month. So I'm assuming at least the lander bracket very soon. And you know, uh, if, the, if the tournament's going to be through the next couple of weeks, then it's going to be very interesting. Next couple of rampage and dynamites that we've got. To oh yeah, look forward to. And I agree with Chris on the one side. Yes, it's very obvious that 
Tony Storm is definitely going to win that tournament. I don't know why anyone else would Wait a minute. Anybody. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You don't need to keep giving me the hard sell, Chris. I'm already on board. But wait, no, wait, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, let's pump the brakes, right? Because, you know, Jamie Hayter, I, I have, I have my hopes, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. We'll see, we'll see, we'll see what happens. We will, we will, we'll definitely see. Uh, I don't see any of this coming back to bite me in the ass. Uh, let's go to our two big questions. Now, taking the place of Goat's question, you know, we, it's such a big week, you know, uh, this week, you know, because we've been off for a little while. And it's not def- it's definitely not up because I couldn't be asked to choose one or the other, so I just put two two questions in the community page. But so yeah, we've got two questions to talk about. Uh, we're gonna read some of the answers, then we're gonna we'll give some of our own. I said on the community page, you know, the first one as Randy Orton recently celebrated twenty years as part of WWE, as people give us some of their favourite Randy Orton moments and matches and some of his best opponents. Uh, Jack Green said, favorite moment has to be that RKO on Seth at WrestleMania 31. Genuinely believe, I genuinely believe we're seeing Orton his best right now with Matt Riddle and RK Rowe for the first time in Atlanta and it looks like he's enjoying himself. To which Alan Logan said, I fully agree with Jack Green and we get some of your own opinions. Be a big boy, be independent, Alan. Uh, David Hockney said, his hardcore match with Mick Foley back by 2004 was way better than anyone expected to be. It was a real evolution for the brass young newbie to a bona fide upper middle card or flash main eventer. Uh, Callum Bennett said when he got thrown through the window by Triple H or when he buried the McMahon family and that time he RKO'd Hulk Hogan made me laugh. So, you know, next for you to choose a positive upbeat moments there, Callum. But uh, just a handful of moments from Randy Orton's like, long career. For me, uh, that RKO on, on Seth, you know, that topped the Evan Bourne one, one, which I never thought could ever be topped. Right. Uh, is, I would agree that, you know, the RKO stuff is like way more entertained than anyone would give thought. Even though we don't talk about the guy he beat for it, I have fond memories of watching Orton become the youngest world champion uh, ever. He yeah. went at SummerSlam 2004. It was a hell of a one. I didn't see it coming because I just saw him as an IC title guy. So actually, he did have some of his best matches in his early years and during that reign you know, against Foley, RVD, Shelton Benjamin, Edge. You know, uh, How nobody in the community page said the greatest match ever uh, against Edge of Backlash 2020. Like, it's just... Absolutely snubbed. <laughs> I just say snubbed, but I definitely I would not say as much as W like to believe it. His, his best opponent is not John Cena. For me, it might even be Undertaker just for that moment at Mesa Twenty One, the choke slam into the RKO. Whoa. Okay. Okay. That's uh that that Taker match is incredible. That match with McFoley. I'm. I'm partial because when I started watching WWE, like Randy Orton versus John Cena was uh, one of the first things I was exposed to. And that was like, it's very nostalgic for me. And those two guys will forever be synonymous with each other's wrestling careers uh, because they both were very prominent for the same amount of time. Shit, even though John's not there anymore, um, I was watching Randy Orton get interviewed by the folks at the bump and he, I guess he, I don't, he was, he might've, he might've been joking when he said this, but he said, I want my retirement match to be against John Cena. Like <laughs> talk about like, end of, like, I know the end of an era has been used a lot recently, but to me, that'd be an era when those two guys are, when they hang up their boots or in Cena's case, hangs up his, his jorts, you know, like 
when when those two guys are gone. Like Orton and Cena, those those two guys are my top five. And the fact that they've been around for twenty years is crazy. Especially Orton consistently being on TV for the last twenty years and not going away like Cena doing the movies and stuff. But damn, Orton's been so damn good. And right now his stuff with RK Bro, it took me a while to get to to get on the the positive side of it but i love watching it now and he's doing some great shit 20 years of randy orton and he ain't done that's the crazy part no no he still looks great he could he go on for another at least 10 years at this point and here's a comparison i don't think anybody was great baby to make but i i reminded a lot of the owens jericho stuff and that it was fun what the stuff with him and Arky brother is you know it's great while it's happening it's giving us a lot of good moments you know that breakup's going to happen, but even when it eventually does happen, it's, you're still not going to be emotionally prepared for it because it's going to the point where Orton's enjoying it, so it's going to take some convincing from eventually pull the trigger and do the turn, but it's going to break a lot of hearts when it happens. Oh, no, yeah, with Owens and Jericho, like, I'm don't get me wrong, I've been so... I've been on the let's break up the RK-Bro tag team side for a while until recently where i'm like well damn they're the best act on raw so i can't i can't you can't break them up now but when they inevitably split that's it's gonna be very festival of friendship-esque 100 yeah hell 100 i mean it's actually some of the best stuff riddle's done in his w career so far because he has he they can never find the balance before between comedy and serious mma guy but you know there's actually some of the comedy stuff, you know, some of the funnier stuff that WWE's done in a while between these two, and the face of the stuff they did with Alpha Academy. So, but Orange had a hell of a career, I think, and you know, we did a well, we did a feature on one half of his career, and I believe somewhere like this, you will do part two of the you know Randy Orton story, because uh, there's still a lot more to cover. Because you know, he's still going, still making memories right now. The other question I put to the community was. About the recently announced one of the bigger stories for a while we were about was in June at the United Center in Chicago, same venue where CM Punk made his debut for AEW. They are hosting the Forbidden Door show, which will be a cross promotional show between AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling. So I asked for some dream matches. We Callum Bennett saying Okada versus Brian Danielson. David Campbell jokingly said Jabata, obviously means Jabata versus Carlos Santana. Uh, which Grammy will be then? tried to get me to ban David Callum for making comments, given he left. And then he gave us a, what you call a serious suggestion, saying that Wardlow should squash evil. Really, anybody barring evil would make me happy. Uh, <laughs> and then Grammy Robbie just took over this comment section, you know, just give me a bloody essay worth of results here. But Jay White, Adam Cole, Tanahashi Moxley, Daniel Garcia v. Elvis Brado, like ZSJ v. Moxley, the list goes on. We, me and him will talk about some of these suggestions again when we do the next East Meets Web. Well, there's one match I've been wanting that not enough people are talking about uh, for this, which he's put down, which I want to see, which one of the guys involved has even tweeted about saying no more excuses, and that's Kenta versus Punk. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, I've been seeing a lot of that one and Brian Danielson and Zack Sabre Jr. Like, those two matches are... Like they're very, they're highly touted and, and hope and maybe they they'll make the 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 forbidden door card, but as of right now, again, like the whoever's chosen to be on that card, this could this is this could turn into the biggest wrestling show of the year because oh, of yeah. the of the now 
established relationship between AEW and New Japan running shows together. So, mm-hmm. damn, I'm and as someone who's going to be waiting in line uh, to get their tickets <laughs> when tickets go on sale, because I, I shit you not, I am down the street from the the famous United Center. And if I don't go to this damn show, I'm gonna be very pissed off. So <laughs> this is this is gonna be an incredibly intriguing card once it's pieced together. And all I know is that it will one it's a it's a guarantee it'll be dream matches galore throughout the entire card. There's no way it's not. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, especially given the fact that you know you got double or nothing and Dominion to come before we get to get to this show so there's a lot of stuff that could impact the card before we even get to it and the ironic thing is before the show even happened was made official we've already done so much cross-promotional stuff between the two companies that calling it forbidden doesn't even make sense anymore it's just a door that people just seem to keep walking through and there's a lot of stuff that could still happen you know the idea of the industry and the bullet club connection will lead to a lot of great possibilities punk v anybody in New Japan, but you know, preferably for me, Kenta, the ZSJ Danielson thing, because like, you know, Meltzer has that, you know, best technical wrestler award that eventually got named the Brian Danielson Award, just as Brian went to WWE, and then ever since he's been to WWE, ZSJ just keeps winning it. So one of Brian's goals when he left WWE, he said, well, I want to win my own award one day. So this could be the match to Brian to get his award back. Uh, the Moxley stuff, he's been trying to do more stuff with New Japan, so Moxley getting involved with anybody in this show will be very good. Getting to see Joe on this show against, like, you know, against your Suzuki's or your ECEs or people like that, or Shingo versus Joe. Give me it, please. Inject it into my veins right now. I uh, could be here all day, you know. Right, and there's... It'll, it'll be interesting to see who both companies put up for these matches, and because... Like then you it raises the question how many matches are going to be on the card, and is it going to be just like a plethora of tag matches just to get a bunch of folks onto the show? And I guess we'll figure it out once the builds for that for the Forbidden Door show comes along. But the one thing I'll say, like yeah, the Forbidden Door, it's it's fun to call it that, and. Like to, like what you said, it's just a door. You say that until Roman Reigns comes out and squashes Okada <laughs> and and Hangman or Punk, whoever the hell's whoever the hell he's wrestling, and Roman Reigns stands tall with all four belts at the end of the show, and we're all just <laughs> just melting in our seats. Then the Forbidden Door. Talk about that damn door! Holy shit! It's a matter uh. of time. Roman wants all the belts. He's going to take the New Japan belt. He's going to take the R- the the AEW belt. Go grab the ROH belt. It's a it's a matter of time. The belt collector, Roman Reigns. <laughs> so the belt collectors, I mean, GOH can call himself the real belt collector. And I just want him on the card, no matter who he's facing, just so much like the Madison Square card, so he can then go on for ages afterwards to say that he, quote-unquote, single-handedly sold it out to stay further <laughs> his gimmick he got going. You know, recent developments in New Japan, you know, I know AEW's firing off centers and I've covered New Japan on a regular basis, but recent developments in New Japan have helped my height levels like immensely, and I'll talk about this more on East Beats West, but like, Wrestling Dantaku, me and Grant even talked about it, that recent Wrestling Dantaku might have been the best New Japan show in like at least a year, you know, because of everything that's been happening there. Uh, 
with Bullet Club taking over. You've got Juice Robinson being revealed as a new Bullet Club member. Got Best of Spurgeon being announced with like weeks of Wheeler Utah and Ace Austin are going to be part of a uh, Best of the Super Juniors this year, which is very exciting. It's going back to a two block format. You got Dominion. Still, like, um, Carl Anderson's going to fight on Dominion against Tamatonga. Everything's taken off. And also, they announced that their May 14th show at Capital Collision in Washington. Not already, they had like Brody King versus Suzuki and ECB Eddie Kingston. But then they've announced a fatal four-way match for the US title of Will Ospreay, John Moxley, Tanahashi, and Just Robinson. Like, New Japan has just come out of the gate saying, like, oh, you know, yeah, I know you hate for this show, but like, look at all this other stuff we're doing. Right. Yeah, no. This 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 summer of wrestling is gonna be so damn rad. And the Forbidden Door is just, just one of the many things that we're gonna be crying and yelling about for the next four or five months. Absolutely. There's a lot of wrestling that happened the last couple weeks while we were away with Angel, but there's so much it's looking like there's gonna be a lot of great wrestling from AEW New Japan. I didn't even get a chance to talk about Impact, but you know, congratulations to Joyce Aizana for finally becoming the Impact World Champion. He's gonna fight Ishii this weekend on the Saturday before. Uh, Impact's doing under siege and the the main event's going to be Ishii with Josh Alexander, which I personally cannot wait for. So, you know, other than some questionable practices from WWE, there's quite a few of them. You know, there's a lot of great rest on there, so make sure you enjoy it all and enjoy all of our content here. Each thing's the best we treat. I'll remind you that on the back catalogue on all good Android podcasts, whether that be Podbean, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, I'll let David talk. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you what my quote unquote favourite podcast platform is because I try not to choose a favourite. I don't want the others to get jealous. Uh, all our shows like ESSR Central, hopefully every Thursday it should be. Our feature show every Tuesday, we've got a show about Cody Rhodes. We're going to have shows about Takeover Chicago 1 coming up. We've got shows about funniest wrestlers, funniest moments. And we've got shows about, you know, not so good shows like Extreme Rules 2011 to, to come in the next few weeks. We've also got Saturday Draft Live, East Meets West, all sorts of good stuff. Our YouTube content, we've not done a lot recently, but we've got, you know, our draft selection shows, book it. Quite a showdown on there. I'm hopefully going to populate more content there soon. And remember, Suplex Community page to get involved answering the questions we do every week. And Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all at Suplex Retreat. But Chris, we may no longer be a tag team in the draft sense, but I will happily team up with you for Central or any other podcast at any point in the future. Oh, 1000%. The feeling is mutual, Scott. You already know, man. Like Mick Lopez with Cheese, we had a stellar run as a tag team. And maybe one day we can tag again. But for now, I will happily reunite on Central or on a feature or whatever show. You you put up the Mick Lopez signal and I'll be there, Scott. You already know. <laughs> the Atlantic cannot keep us apart. The signal travels worldwide. For 100%. <laughs> Uh, Ross McClay will be back in usual serviceable resume next week until then thank you for listening bye bye